Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. Today we are um, continuing, finishing up actually a series called I Am. And the message we're looking at today, the title of today's message is called Hello, My Name Is. So we've been looking at the identity of Christ through the last, well, since Easter. And because Christ is something that has implications for us, because Christ is the resurrection and the life, there are implications for us and our identity. And I truly believe we only know who we are when we know who Christ is and who God is. And so uh, we've been walking through that over the last few weeks. And today uh, we're going to be looking at, like I said, this message called Hello, My Name Is. And as you came in, you probably got one of these. If you did not get one, uh, do me a favor and raise your hand real high. And our ushers are around. They'll make sure they get one in your hand. Uh, Dave, there's one over here. There's another one right over here. Uh, Thanks, Josh. So if you didn't keep your hand up real high just for a a moment, they'll get those in your hand. I'll give you instructions for those in just a little bit. We'll come to those shortly, I promise. Um, But uh, I wanted to get those in your hand. But um, one of the things we talk about here at the Summit a lot is generosity. And when we talk about generosity, a lot of times it's in the context of giving, and people automatically go, okay, here it comes, the giving stuff. Um, But it is so much bigger than just money. It is about our heart. It's about our attitude. It's about being generous, not just with our finances, but with our time, with our energy, uh, with our emotions, and just being, living our lives open-handedly. And uh, there's a situation that, um, that I think is, is indirect generosity. And I want to, I want to show you a video that just shows you a story about somebody who was impacted by uh, the generosity of this church. So if you would take a look at Marie's story. I grew up Catholic went to the same church for almost 50 years and I never really got what I thought that I wanted out of church out of being there so I tried to substitute I was the person who would go 45 minutes early every week to pray my rosaries we had a really hard year last year with uh, the passing of my father and myself being ill and my husband going through a lot. Um, And during that time, I felt as though I was being drawn. I was being pulled towards the summit um, that I wanted to go hear the message. I was really hesitant about coming and sat by myself in the back of the church. Did what anybody see me? Because I was like, oh my gosh, by the end, of that message I had raised my hand feeling as though like how did you know how did you know all the things that I was feeling so when I got home I of course went to check on my husband and he kept saying well what was it like and I couldn't explain it and finally after he asked me a bunch of times I just said it felt like this like a hug open-armed Um, loved, warm. It felt very inviting, like I should be there. I wasn't a stranger. I um, caught him then (laughs) watching church. He was doing his therapy and everything, and he was hiding in the bedroom, and the lights were all off, and I could see him with his Kindle, and I, I was like, what are you doing? It's like 1030 at night. What are you doing? He said, I'm watching church, and I 
was just like, you're doing what? And I thought to myself, you know, all these years you used to fall asleep in church and now you're watching church? I don't understand. Coming to church together here has brought my husband and I closer. We discuss church, we discuss, uh, you know, the message and discuss, you know, our, our favorite things and who we saw. And before, we never talked about church. You know, when you walked out of the door, it was over. And then you went Sunday again, and it was because it was your duty to go. So after we had been coming for many weeks then, it was time for the water baptisms. And I watched people walk out of all different ages, young ones, old ones, middle-aged ones, ones that were tattooed all up. And the tears just kept running out of my eyes. I was completely overwhelmed. I actually cried the entire way home. And I was talking to my husband and I said, you know, I don't know what being saved feels like. I don't know. I said, but if if it feels like anything like I do today, right now, I know that I am. And I feel whole again. I feel as though all the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. I was blessed to have my entire family there with me on Mother's Day. The best thing was that my grandson, who's two and a half, actually had four generations of people in that line of seats. I guess all because I came by myself. And now I realized as he brought me, he brought others as well. This is what I was searching for. And I found it. I found God. You know, the... One of the parts of this story that I love so much is at the beginning when she says, um, she said, my husband asked me what it was like, and she said, it just felt like a hug. It just felt like I was accepted and felt like, you know, it was warm. And and uh, that is not because of a message. That is not because of a sermon. Uh, it is not because of worship. Uh, it's not because of a building. It is because the people of this church uh, love generously and are open-hearted, and when people walk through, it's not about you're sitting in my seat, or uh, you don't look like us, or you don't belong here, Um, but the people of this church welcome people generously and love people generously, and I just want to say thank you for your generosity, Uh, not just financial generosity, obviously that's important, but uh, your, your relational generosity that you show to every person that walks through this door, every person you greet, every hand you shake, every person you hug, it's making a difference, and it really is impacting people's lives. Um, and so I, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you, how much I love you, and how much I appreciate your your generosity. Uh, today, we want to give you an opportunity to give financially. Um, as you know, at the summit, we don't pass offering buckets or plates around, uh, but we have offering boxes throughout the room. So a couple in the back of the room here, one in the balcony there, and then one on my extreme left, your extreme right. If you want to give today, if you're part of the summit, um, I want to encourage you. 
Um, think about how you can be generous, uh, generous financially. There's an offering envelope in the seat back in front of you that looks like this. If you're not sure the different ways you can give, you can take a look at that. You can write a check out to the summit uh, and drop that in the offering box as you're walking out. If you want to give cash, you can put in one of these offering envelopes, fill it out, and then drop it in one of the boxes on your way out. If you want to give via your mobile device by texting, you can text the word summit PA to 77977. It'll tell you how you can give via text. Or if you want to give online with your credit card, you can give at summittogether.com and simply hit the give button at the top of the screen. So again, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for partnering with us and seeing every life made different in Indiana, in this region, and around the world. Let me pray over the giving and then we'll, uh, then we'll move on with the worship experience. God, thank you so much for everything you've given us. Thank you that uh, you give us an opportunity to live generously. And I pray that as we do, Lord, we would shine your light and reveal your glory to the people around us. So God, I pray as we give today, I pray that you'd bless us. I pray that we'd walk in your blessing as we walk in your obedience. So God, have your way with us today in your name. Amen. Again, if you are a guest with us today, don't feel any pressure at all to give, uh, but the, uh, the boxes are available at the conclusion of the worship experience. Please stop by there. Uh, as I said earlier, we are finishing up our series and we're looking at um, our, our sermon today is called Hello, My Name Is. And uh, how many of you know that names are really important? Does anybody know that? No? Like five of you do? Um, I, I understand this very intimately because my name, my full name, which I used to be a little bit embarrassed of, but I'm not anymore. It's Melvin Otis Massingale III. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know if that was sympathy or if it was what, but thank you. Uh, but no, when I was a kid, I used to be a little bit embarrassed of it, and I kind of got made fun of growing up some because of my name. Uh, but, I, man, my dad is a fantastic man of God. My grandfather, who I'm named after, was a fantastic man of God. So I've got no reason to be ashamed of my name. Uh, but there were the first day of school growing up, it was Melvin Massingale, and I'd have to go, ugh. No, you know, and so when it came for time for us to have kids, we were thinking about what are we going to name our kids because we don't want them to have to endure awkward first days of school, right? When they say the name and everybody, all the kids giggle, we don't want to have to do that. So when we had Abby, when we knew we were pregnant with a girl, we started thinking through names and we decided we liked the name Abby. And I was like, well, are we going to name her Abigail? And my wife's like, no way. Her name will be Abigail Massingale. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Oh my gosh, my wife's brilliant. So I was like, yeah, we can't name her Abigail. And so even now, if you say Abigail, you know, somebody will say, hey, Abigail, she'll go, my name's Abby. Like, back off or I'll cut you, right? Uh, because her name's Abby, it's not Abigail. I didn't want her to have to be giggled at the first day of school every year. And so it's Abby, it's just Abby. But, but names matter. In fact, there are some nations in the world that they limit what you can name your kids um, because they want them to be more uh, culturally relevant to their nation or whatever it might be. But there's a list of some names that were banned by their countries. Um, in the, the, the Philippines, you can't name your child Nutella, just in case you're thinking of moving to the Philippines and naming your child Nutella. Uh, in Japan, it's illegal to name your child Akuma, which might not sound that bad until you realize that Akuma in Japanese means the devil. So not, somebody actually tried to name their child the devil, and the government had to step in and go, that's probably not the best interest of the child. In Malaysia, a family tried to name their child Chow Tao, which is Malaysian for smelly head. I've realized that none of these parents love their kids. That's what I've realized. 
In Turkey, this is a real incident. The Turkish government had to step in and prevent a family from naming their son Osama bin Laden. You don't think that kid would get beat up in American schools every single day if his name was Osama bin Laden, right? This name came up and it was barred and outlawed. A family named their child Tallulah does the hula from Hawaii. That is an actual name that they had to go back and change later. And then finally, our friends to the south in Mexico have banned a couple of names that I kind of like, especially for boys. The first one is RoboCop, and the second one is Metallica. What if you combined them? RoboCop, Metallica, Mastingale. Like, that's the manliest name ever, right? You just start calling me Pastor RoboCop, right? When I was in the Dominican Republic a few years ago, I was on a missions trip, and I met a young man. He was younger than I was, and he introduced himself, and his name his first and middle name, it was Robert Mitchum. And I thought, well, that's weird. And if you're too young, you might not know who Robert Mitchum is, but he was a Hollywood icon, lots of Westerns and things like that. Um, but I thought, well, that's really weird. What are the odds that his family would name him Robert Mitchum, like, Juarez or whatever his last name was? Oh, that's strange. And then later I met another guy, and his name was Mike Tyson. I was like, what is going on? So I asked one of the nationals, like, what, what is the deal? And they said, well, sometimes families will name their child after a prominent American, and they think that it will help them or give them, you know, more standing. Um, I met another guy named Gregory Peck. Um, so it's like, what in the world? And they, they realized that names matter. If they only realized that they were naming their child after Mike Tyson, they probably wouldn't have done that. But names make a difference. And we see that, that, that names matter even all the way back in the Old Testament. And back in the book of Daniel, uh, the nation of Israel had split between Judah and Israel. Um, the, the, the Hebrew culture was not in great shape. The Babylonian Empire had come to power, and they were spreading throughout the world. They were uh, taking territory, and they would do something that was very interesting. They would either go in and totally crush and destroy a nation, or they would give the nation the opportunity to submit. And if they submitted to Babylonian authority, then they only had to uh, pay a tax of 60% of their income. So 60% of everything the nation made had to go back to uh, Babylon. That's not too dissimilar from our nation, it doesn't feel like sometimes. And so 60% went back to Babylon, and then they had to give about a third of all their crops as well. And that's what they had to do in order to live in peace. But that's not where it ended. Babylon would also say, hey, we're going to take the best and the brightest from this country. And so the Hebrews, the Jewish people had to give up the best and the brightest of their kids were taken into captivity into Babylon. So the, the people that were of noble blood, the people that were uh, educated, the people that were good looking, all the people who had anything good to offer, what the Babylonians would do is they would bring them to Babylon, they would indoctrinate them, and then they would send them back out to spread Babylonian culture. Their goal in a very real way was to snuff out Hebrew culture. They were trying to get rid of the, the, the Jews and what they believed and how they believed. In a very real way, they were trying to snuff out their identity. So I want us to look at this passage of Scripture, and, and you can read more about the story in, in Daniel chapter 1, um, but, but we'll just read a portion of it. Daniel chapter 1, I'll start in verse 5, and it refers to the king, and the king is King Nebuchadnezzar. And then it refers to them in this verse first. And the, them they're talking about is Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These were four 
Hebrew children that were noble, that were uh, sharp, that were intelligent. Um, but it says the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate. So the king gave them his own food. He wanted them to have the best and eat the best so that he could really help shape them to become good Babylonian young men. And it goes on to say, and of the wine he drank, so he gave them everything he ate and drank, they got a portion of it. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. So he gave them new names. He got rid of their, Bab- uh, their Hebrew names and gave them Babylonian names. And it says, Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. And this is what they did. They said, come to Babylon. We're going to give you the best food, the best drink. We're going to educate you. We're going to help you. And you know what? We're going to get rid of these old Hebrew names. You don't need those names anymore because that's not who you are. This is who you are. You're not Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. That's not who you are anymore. Here are your new identities. Here are your new names. You can forget about who you were. This is who you are. And their names had very real meaning. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. So his Hebrew name, it gave glory to God by saying God is the one who judges me. But they changed his name to Belteshazzar, which means favored by Bel, or Bel protects my life. And Bel was one of the gods in the Babylonian pantheon. There were many gods that the Babylonians worshipped. And so they said, we don't want to give glory to your God. We're giving glory to the God that you're supposed to serve. This is who you are now. We're forgetting about your old God and forgetting about your old way. Hananiah, his name meant Yahweh is gracious, and Yahweh is the Jewish name or the Hebrew name for God. And so it says God is gracious, but then they changed his name to Shadrach, which means Aku's command, and Aku was the Babylonian moon god. So again, they're, they're diverting attention from the one true God to one of their gods. Mishael, whose name means who is like our God, became Meshach, whose name means who is like Aku. What a cheap derivative of the original this was. It was just a knockoff. And finally, Azariah, his name means Yahweh has helped. It's just a reminder. His name was a reminder that Yahweh, that God has helped him in the past and and would help him in the future. And his name became Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. What they were trying to do is the Babylonians were trying to snuff out their identities. They were trying to force them to forget about who they were. Because see, they were born and given a name, and that name was a gift from God. And I believe every person in this place has a name that God has given you. And I believe the culture we live in today is trying to snuff out that name. They're trying to rename you. They're trying to tell you you're something you're not. They're trying to get you to forget about who God says you are. And they're trying to assign you a different name or a different label. Some of you got a name a long time ago, maybe from a parent or a coach. They said you're worthless. You're hopeless. You'll never amount to anything. And what happens is you've forgotten about what your true name is, and you have taken that name and said this is who I am. Some of you, maybe you had a spouse who said you're unlovable or you're ugly or you're fat or you're disgusting. I could never love somebody like you. And what you did is you applied that label to your life and you said, this is who they said I am, so it must be who I am. And what you did is you forgot about who God created you to be. You forgot about your one true name and you took on a label, you took on a name that was never yours to begin with. You said, this is who I am. I'm worthless. 
I'm hopeless. Yeah. One of the names I saw, I was talking to someone and they said, I had a, a husband who used to call me pig. That was heartbreaking to me. Because I said, you, in this moment, this woman said, my husband called me pig. And I never wanted to find a husband so bad and just beat the snot out of him in the name of Jesus. Why? Because she had taken on that identity. She said, this is who I am. And she forgot about who God created her to be. See, the enemy is in the business of changing our names. He's in the business of tricking you into thinking your identity is something that it's really not. He's in the business of, of taking your God-given identity and, and labeling you as something else entirely. And if we're not careful, we accept that and we receive that and we're in agreement with that. The enemy is in the business of changing our name. And I'm thankful that we don't have to receive that. I said, I don't know, a couple months ago in one of my messages that we can never defeat an enemy that we're in agreement with. So if we have somebody in our life that says you're worthless and you go, you know what, I, I am pretty worthless. We're never gonna overcome that label. We're never gonna overcome that name. We're never gonna overcome that enemy. And I, I'm thankful that these Hebrew children, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they, they rejected their names. They rejected their, their Babylonian names and said, that's not who we are. I wanna read you a passage. It's from Daniel chapter three. The king of Babylon, one of the most powerful men in the world, he set up a shrine to himself. You, you might be a narcissist if you set up a shrine to yourself, okay? So he sets up this shrine. It's solid gold. It's 100 feet tall, 10 feet wide, and he commanded everyone in the Babylonian Empire to bow down and worship it, okay? He might have some ego problems, right? And he said, and if you don't, you're gonna be put to death. And there was these boys that refused to bow down. Their names were... Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, no, we're not gonna bow down. He said, well, if you don't, we're gonna kill you. We're gonna throw you in this furnace. This furnace is so hot, it's gonna melt the flesh off you. It's, you're gonna burn to death if you don't worship me. And listen to what they said in verse 16 of Daniel chapter three. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So what they said is, God is big enough to deliver us. We're not scared of you. And then they go on to say this, listen to this in verse 18. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is what they said. They said, we don't care what you have labeled us. That is not who we are. That does not define who we are. What defines who we are is the God we serve. And it doesn't matter what you do or how you threaten us or what our circumstances look like. I know who I am. And I'm not the one who worships Baal or worships Bell or worships any of these false gods. That is not who we are. So you can threaten us all you want, but I know who I am. So Throw us in the fiery furnace. God's gonna save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not gonna worship you. Why could they do that? Why could they confront the most, one of the most powerful men in the world? And the reason they could do that is they were so locked in and anchored into their identity in God that they knew, that they knew, that they knew who they were. They said, we don't have to impress you. <laughs> we don't have to be afraid of you. We know who we are. We're children of God. 
So threaten us all you want. I don't care. I know who I am. We live in a world that is constantly trying to tell you who you are or who you aren't. It's constantly trying to label you, constantly trying to give you a new name. And as Christians, we have to lock ourselves in and anchor ourselves in who God says we are so that we're not swayed. So when the circumstances come in our life that are difficult and they will come, that we're not swayed to give in to threats or fear. See, the enemy is all about changing our name, but I've got good news for you. God is all about changing names as well. See, God changes names. He's done it over and over and over again. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus gave Simon a new name. Simon Peter was one of the most prominent disciples. His name was Simon, and Jesus changed his name in Matthew chapter 16. He said, hey, your name's not gonna be Simon anymore. Simon means reed-like or grass-like. Has anybody ever seen a reed next to a pond or a lake before? If you don't know what a reed is, it looks like a corn dog growing out of the water. It's not really a corn dog, so don't eat it right? But have you ever seen it? The wind blows in that reed. It blows in the wind, doesn't it? It just sways. Wherever the wind pushes it, that's where it goes. That's the direction it bends. The same thing with grass. If you let your yard get too tall at times, like I do once in a while, and the wind blows and that grass blows, right? What's it doing? It's bending in the direction that it's pushed. And this is who Peter was. He was somebody who would, who would bend in the direction that he was pushed, he would sway in the wind. And Jesus said, you're not gonna be reed-like anymore, Simon. That's not who you are. I'm changing your identity. I'm changing your identity to Peter. And Peter means little stone or little rock. He said, you're not gonna be blown by the wind anymore. You're a rock. And that is your identity. That's who you are. He did it in, back in Genesis. There was a guy named Jacob who we've talked about here a few times. Jacob was a guy who was known as a thief. He was known as a con man. And that's what his name meant. It means supplanter. And so in a very real way, his name means con man, liar, cheat. And that's who he was. That was his identity. He, he, he lied to his parents. He cheated his brother over and over and over again. He was manipulative. And that was who he was. And he had an encounter with God one night. And literally he wrestled with God. And he said, I'm not letting go till you bless me. And God blessed him and changed his name. And he said, no longer are you gonna be Jacob, the, the liar, and Jacob, the cheat, and Jacob, the, the supplanter. Now your name is gonna be Israel, which means triumphant with God. That's who you are. See, the world has known you as a liar and as a cheat and as a con man and, and as a, a ripoff artist. That's who you are, but that's not who you are anymore. I'm changing your name, I'm changing your identity, and now you're triumphant with the Lord. See, some of you in this place have been struggling with your identity. You've been struggling with who you are. You've been struggling with what the world says about you. You've been struggling with who you think people think you are. And you need God to change your name. And he can do it. If you look down in Genesis chapter 17, there's a guy named Abram. He was married to a woman named Sarai. He has an encounter with God in Genesis chapter 17. I'll tell you about it here. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. 
Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. See, Abram's name means uh, exalted father which is almost ironic. It's almost a slap in the face. This was a man who was 99 years old. He had no children, and his name was Exalted Father. It's kind of like when you see the gigantic guy, the guy that's like 6'8 and 350 pounds, and they call him Tiny, right? It's like it's ironic. But for Abram, it wasn't ironic. It was a weight he had to bear because he was called Exalted Father, but yet he didn't have any kids of his own. He and Sarah, his wife, didn't have children. And so it was almost a slap in the face. And God said, that's not who you are anymore. Your, your name has been a weight. Your name has been a burden. But guess what? I'm changing your name. I'm gonna make you a, a father of a multitude of nations. That's what Abraham means. And the scripture tells us that Abraham laughed to himself because he knew, he knew, he recognized, I'm 100 years old. I don't know about you guys, but when I turn 100, I'm not gonna be thinking about starting a family, right? I'm gonna be old enough when my kids graduate high school. Think about that. Think about what college is gonna cost you in 110 years, right? No, thank you. So Abraham laughs to himself because he's thinking, this is ridiculous. Come on. Sarah does the same thing. She was 90. They're starting a family. But God's promise was true. God said, you know what? Your name was a joke. But now, I'm gonna make you the, the father of a multitude of nations. See, when we look at names in scripture, there are a group of names called sacramental names. And sacramental names are names that were changed by God. They're names that were given by God. And these names are often associated with a promise for someone's life. They're often associated with a destiny or a mission or a purpose that someone has for their life. So when Abram's name was changed from Abram to Abraham, that, that name Abraham exalted or went from exalted father to father of a multitude of nations. What that name Abraham meant was he was reminded every day what his purpose, what his destiny, what his mission was, what the promise from God was for his life. So every day when he heard the name Abraham, it was a reminder that God had a purpose and a plan and a destiny for him. Just like the old name, Abram was a reminder of his failure and his ineptitude and how he hadn't been able to have kids with his wife. His new name became a reminder of God's promise, his purpose. The sacramental name that God gave him became a reminder of God's goodness for his life. And there are people in this room that every time you hear that label, that name in your ear, you're reminded of your failure, you're reminded of your disappointment, you're reminded of how you blew it, you're reminded of how it didn't go your way. And I'm telling you today, God wants to change your name. He wants to give you a sacramental name that every time you hear it, it's a reminder of God's goodness and purpose and plan and mission and vision for your life, that God's got something incredible for you, but you need to be willing to lay down your old name. You need to be willing to lay down that old label and say, that is not who I am anymore. Maybe that's who I was. Maybe that's how I acted, but you know what? That is not who I am. In God, I am a new creation. My name is new I'm not gonna be that way anymore. I refuse to live that way. I refuse to identify that way. That is not who I am. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. See, there's some of you in the room today. You've identified yourself. You've labeled yourself. You've given yourself the name of unloved. 
Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and John 3, 16 both say that you are loved in Christ. No matter how you feel or how you've identified yourself, you are loved. God's changing your name today from unloved to loved. Some of you feel like you have no family here. Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 17 says that we're not just children of God, but we're heirs of God and we're co-heirs with Jesus. Not only that, but it's Psalm chapter 27, verse 10 says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me in. So some of you feel alone today, but I want you to know you're not alone. You've identified yourself as alone, but today you have a family. Some of you are here today and you feel condemned. That's who you say you are. You say, I've sinned too much. I've gone too far. I can never be forgiven. But Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you say you're condemned, but I'm telling you today you're forgiven. Some of you are here today and you feel afraid. You're fearful. 1 Timothy 1.7 says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So you might say that I'm afraid and I'm fearful, but I'm telling you, God is changing your name today, that you're not afraid. You don't have to be that person anymore, but today you can be a person of power and of love and of self-control. That's your new identity. That's who you are. Today you might feel like you're defeated and you're beaten down, and that's how you would label yourself. But I'm telling you today, Romans 8:37 says, We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15:57 says, We are victorious through Christ. So no matter how beaten down you feel, no matter how bad you think you've blown it, no matter how much you think you've failed, I'm telling you today, your identity in Christ is victorious in Him. You might feel like you're a nobody, you don't have any importance or value. But 1 Peter 2, 9 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So you might feel like you're a nobody, but I'm telling you today, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. God has picked you. Some of you are here today and you feel ugly. You feel unattractive. You feel like you're not lovely or beautiful. But I'm telling you today, Psalm 139 says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made Scripture tells us that you are handmade from God, that he has crafted you just like an artist puts time into a piece of art or a sculpture. God has put time into you and he finds you beautiful because you are his masterpiece. Some of you are here today and you feel worthless. In this verse, I read this last week, and I feel like it's for you today. If you feel worthless, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And what I want you to know is you're not valuable because of what you look like or what you wear or your, your, your appearance. You are valuable because of what you contain. You're valuable because the holy God of the universe dwells within you. The Holy Spirit lives within you and that creates value. Perfume costs a lot of money, right? You're not paying for the bottle. You're paying for what's in the bottle. What's in the container has value. And I'm telling you today, if the spirit of God is in you, you are valuable beyond what you realize. You are valuable beyond what you can understand because God is in you. You might feel worthless, but I'm telling you today, you are priceless. Some of you are here today and you feel like it's too late. You say, Mel, I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm 70, I'm 80 years old, I'm 90 years old. That's just who I am. I can't change at this point. God can't change my name. Abram was 99 when God changed his name to Abraham. Sarah was 90 years old when he changed her name from Sarai to Sarah. Sarah means chieftainess. It's almost like warrior princess is who she was. She went from being quarrelsome and a troublemaker to being someone who's a bold leader. She was 90 when God did that. 
Jacob was in his 90s when God changed his name from liar and cheat and thief to victorious with the Lord. It's not too late. I don't care how old you are. If you're in this place and you have breath in your lungs, God's still got a purpose and a destiny and a plan for you. And if you're willing to lay down who you were for who you can become, God is willing to change your name today. God's still got a purpose and something important and something powerful for you to be a part of, no matter how old you are in this place or how young you might be. God's got a purpose for you. God wants to give you a sacramental name that carries purpose and destiny and promise along with it. The question is, will you lay down who you were for who God wants you to be? This is what's gonna happen right now. I wanna ask you, if you would, just bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. And if you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm not a Christian, I'm not walking with the Lord, I'm not in a relationship with Jesus, but I want to, I wanna know him. I, I wanna begin to make things right. I wanna begin this journey with God. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I don't wanna embarrass you, but I do wanna pray with you right where you are. So if you're here today and you say, that's me, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life today. I wanna pray that prayer. If you would, would you raise your hand real high so I can see it? Thank you. Three people down here in the center section, you can put your hands down. Thank you so much. Praise God. Who else would join these three and say, that's me, pray for me. Thank you, man. Awesome. Who else would join these and say, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life today. I'm tired of living my life the way I've been living it. I wanna live for him. Thank you, man. Praise God. Thank you, up in the balcony. Thank you. Anyone else? Just a few more seconds. Say, that's me. Pray with me. All right. Now, if you would, I want every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to say this really simple prayer. Repeat it with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me when I was at my worst. Thank you for saving me and paying the price for my sin on the cross. Take my life and use it for your glory. I thank you that you are giving me a new name, that I am a new creation in you, and that I am your child today. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate today. Thank you, God. You are good. Now listen. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, uh, this is what we want you to do. We want you to take a minute and fill out this card. It's in the seat back in front of you. Uh, on the back, it just says salvation or rededication. This is your next step. This is how we help you uh, begin the process of growing in your faith. So fill this card out. Drop it in one of our offering boxes before you leave today. We're gonna help you take the next step in your faith journey. Now, when you came in, you got the hello, my name is card. This is what I want you to do. You got two tags as you came in. And the first tag that you've got today is for your old name. It's for the label or the name that the world has given you. It's for the na name or the label that maybe a parent gave you or maybe a boss gave you or maybe a coach gave you. It's the thing that somebody told you that maybe you accepted in your life and said, that's who I am. And you slapped that label on you and you walked around and just identified yourself that way. So this first label is for that, for me, and I don't struggle with this anymore, but I used to struggle with the idea that I was an underachiever, that I would never live up to God's potential in my life. I'd never be able to do the things that God wanted me to do, and I struggled with that. 
I had a pastor one time sit across a desk from me and he told me, he said, Mel, you'll never pastor more than 75 or 100 people. That's all you can ever do. You just don't have the capacity. You don't have the ability. And I could have labeled myself that way, but I rejected that and said, nope, that is not God's purpose for me. God's gonna do something big through my life, I know it. And I rejected the idea that I was an underachiever. But I struggled with it for years. This is what I want you to do. Put that on your first label. Whatever your label was, put it down. And then on that second label, I want you to write your identity in Christ. Who does God say you are? You, you know who the world says you are. You know who, what your ex-spouse says you are. You know what your parents said. You know that. But ask yourself, what does God say about you? Who does God say you are? On mine, I wrote down accepted because God does not care about my performance. I don't have to perform better to get God to love me. God accepts me because I am his child. I'm grateful for that. So what I want you to do is write down, what is your identity in God? Who does he say you are? What is his name for you? And this is what's gonna happen. The worship team is gonna lead us in one more song. And as they do, I want you to step out from your seat. And I want you to come forward. And I want you to lay your old name down. I want you to lay that old identity down. And I believe as we do, it's laying it down and we're walking away from it. It's symbolic of us saying, I'm putting this name down and I'm never going back to it. That is who I used to be, but that is not who I am. God's got a sacramental name for me that bears promise and purpose and mission and vision. And it has nothing to do with that old name. So I'm laying that old name down and I'm walking away from it and I'm never going back to it. If you're sitting in the balcony, there are several tables. There's one over here, one in the middle by the door, and there's also one on my extreme left, your right. Feel free. You don't have to come forward. Drop this in one of those baskets. It's a symbol saying, I'm walking away from my old name. That is not who I am anymore. And then what I want you to do is take your new name and put it somewhere you're going to see it. Remind yourself of who you are. Just like Abraham would hear his name Abraham, and it would remind him that he was a father of a multitude of nations. You need to remind yourself of who you are. So put it on your refrigerator, put it on your nightstand, put it in your Bible, put it somewhere that you can be reminded of who you really are in Christ Jesus. The worship team is gonna be available on either side of this stage. After you bring your labels up, if you wanna find one of our prayer team members, we'd be delighted to pray with you about whatever your need might be. We'll be available during this last song as we worship together. And then 